The Federal Aviation Administration is assuring Congress it's taken steps to avoid a repeat of last month's air traffic meltdown. The underlying cause was a database failure in an IT system, parts of which are 30 years old. But those fixes are more or less stopgaps. It'll take at least another two years before the IT infrastructure at heart of the issue is replaced with more modern technology. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu has more details on the FAA's modernization plans. The FAA messaging system that issues notices to air missions, or NOTAMs, went offline in the evening of January 10th and wasn't fully restored until 9 a.m. the next morning. While it was offline, the FAA ordered a complete halt to all aircraft departures nationwide for nearly two hours. It's the first time that's happened since the 9-11 attacks. The NOTAM system is important enough that it does have multiple backups designed to take over when the main system fails, but the FAA says those backups failed too. The agency says the root cause was a contractor inadvertently deleting essential files from the main database. And because of the way the system is architected, those file deletions immediately replicated themselves to the backup systems. Billy Nolan, the acting FAA administrator, says the agency has put processes in place to keep that precise problem from happening again. Number one, we have instituted a one-hour synchronization delay between the primary database and the backup database. That gives us time to make sure that we have no issues there. Secondly, we've, we've increased the level of oversight to ensure that more than one person is available when work or updates are being done on the live database, along with an up-leveling our level of oversight within the command center to ensure that we've got leadership present So those, are, of course, are more in the area of administrative controls. But Nolan told the Senate Commerce Committee there's no way to guarantee that some other problem won't sideline the aging system in the coming months and years. When we think about the age of our system and the age of the systems we have, we do have redundancy there. Could I sit here today and tell you there will never be another issue on the NOTAM system? No, sir, I cannot. What I can say is that we are making every effort to modernize and look at our procedures. In fact, part of this investigation uh, has us working with MITRE and other entities to look at across the totality of our systems, how they interrelate, what is the level of redundancy, and is there any additional thing that we need to do? And certainly we'll have more as that investigation ensues. The NOTAM system, which distributes operational safety messages to every pilot and airspace user in the country, is actually two separate systems for now. First, there's the 30-year-old legacy version, which the FAA calls the U.S. NOTAM system. Since 2009, the agency's been working to replace it with a new version called the Federal NOTAM system. About 80% of the aviation industry has already been migrated to the new system, but about 20% of users, including the entire Defense Department, is still on the legacy version. Because such a big proportion of the aviation community still relies on the old version, when it fails, it impacts the entire country. And Nolan says the FAA doesn't expect to move everyone to the federal NOTAM system until 2025. But Nolan says that schedule and the rest of the agency's IT modernization plans depend on adequate and on-time appropriations and authorizations from Congress. It's all about ensuring, again, that we have that funding there and we'll look forward to what comes forward in the president's budget. Our goal is to take every dollar that we are given and we are, our goal is to be good stewards of that and move forward to modernization. So we're talking thousands of systems. NOTAMS is just one of, and so we don't want to leave the community with the impression that we fix NOTAMS and we're done, and I know you know that's not where we are. But we'll certainly have a prioritization about how we get there. NOTAMS is a big one. We want to continue to deliver on the benefits of next-gen everything we've done there, 
even as we stare into the future to say, how do we enable all these new entrants that are coming in? In the meantime, Nolan says part of the investigation into the January failure is looking at whether the NOTAM system should be formally designated as a safety-critical system. As of now, it has a lower-level designation, mission support. Part of this look is taking a look at all of our enterprise system, those we consider critical to the NAS versus the support. So we're absolutely taking a look at the classification there and make sure we've got it right. Some of the differences are just the levels of controls and engineering controls that you'd have in place for a critical system and those, that, those added levels of redundancy that you'd expect to have uh, given the criticality of them. But Congress wants improvements to the NOTAM system sooner than 2025. Legislation the House passed in late January would order the FAA to stand up a task force to look at near-term improvements to the resiliency and cybersecurity of the system. A similar bill is pending in the Senate. In the meantime, Senator Maria Cantwell, the Commerce Committee chairwoman, says the FAA needs to tell Congress what it can do right now to make the system more redundant. I want to get an answer within a week about the NOTAM system having a separate backup, totally separate backup, that could be used. You're saying what happened here is somebody infected the file and basically ended up deleting something that then caused the outage to the system. So the question is, you're now trying to put human redundancy there so that this won't happen again. But if the same system is a network, including the backup servers and other places, and whatever action somebody mistakenly takes on files still affects the whole system, what would be important to understand is can the FAA set up a true redundant server system that would allow for that file corruption that happened not to happen across the entire system. And that's what we need to know the answer to. Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in direct care. And and I will say, and on I obviously will say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw send in my information, and lo and behold, I I, I get hired, and um, 
I learn uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know so often when he'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he he, he faces everything with optimism and 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 i've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the united states and globally you see people who have had everything stacked against them you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at special olympics no one's excluded you know no, right. no one's excluded yeah. everyone is equal at special olympics it, and you know in a country that's quite divided on so many lines politically and uh, socially uh, economically race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot but you go to special olympics and everyone's involved everyone's welcome everyone's equal and I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get? How can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved, uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks 
the play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to to create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.